After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round-tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. Now, I happen to know about Elsa. She's from a movie called Frozen, and she sings the lead song, Let It Go. 
I know that because Halloween was a week ago and my daughter was Elsa. What's happening guys? Happy Tuesday and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome guys i was in new york city for ufc 295 and what a night it was from first round finishes there was some great walkouts there was some great stare downs i even liked a call out or two this card had it all and coming up on today's show i'm gonna have even more because i'm gonna spend some time talking about what's next for tom Asenball. i'm also gonna get into tony ferguson training with david goggins and i'm gonna tell you what i like about it but also what's bothering me lots to get into let's begin here alex pierre is your fighter of the year i hope that he wins that award and i don't know that he will the World MMA Awards started taking ballots a meaningful amount of time ago. They're probably about to close. I can't in good conscience tell you that I remember Piera being nominated. I'm not positive he's nominated for an award that he absolutely should win. And I'm coming to you guys hoping you elevate him and he could win it. And it's not the only the World MMA Awards that does it. The UFC has an awards as well. It's just not an awards show. They do acknowledge Ariel Hawani has an awards show and you might know of five or six other ones, but they're not as respected within our industry. And Alex Piera is the fighter of the year. He should be respected and honored that way, recognized in front of our community. Alex Piera is terrible. Alex Piera is an amateur. Alex Piera is a master of nothing. Alex Piera is the most unlikely guy to go on to make a technique video that you would buy. He is the most unlikely person to put on a seminar that you would take your child who's an aspiring fighter to go down and learn the secrets of because he doesn't have any. He's a black belt of nothing. All of those things are true. Oh, by the way, there's a comma. I'm not done yet. Same paragraph. Continuing on. He has two belts that are both gold. He has no black belts, like I said. He doesn't have a brown belt. Like I said, he does have two different belts that are gold. Both of them say unified. He has a higher ranking belt and status within our class system than Tom Aspinall right here and right now. Just to give you a perspective for that. He is headlined twice Within this calendar year, which is where Fighter of the Year comes from, Madison Square Garden, sold out both times. He was the champion of the world at 185 pounds in this calendar year. He is the champion of the world at 205 pounds. Right now, only thing in between, only thing he did in between is defeat a world champion Name Jan Blahovitz. Alex Pierre is the fighter of the year, and I'm more curious of how we got here because this isn't the first time, guys. It's the second. It's the second, but it's being missed. And I don't want to miss it because one thing that history does, if we don't learn about it and learn from it, is it will repeat itself. Some of the ugliest things, atrocities even, must be taught to our kids. So that they can observe it, not do it again, and it doesn't repeat itself. Now, I know we're on a lot smaller scale, but there is a lot of rinse and repeat, and there's a lot to learn. Look, before you can talk, Alex, back up to Francis Ngannou. Francis Ngannou going to a sport that he had never done before. 
He liked it. He saw it. Boy, there was a, there sure was parts of it that he was used to. And I get, I get all of those things. But please also get my point. He went into a sport that he'd never done before. And he almost, on day one, showed and was recognized that he was the best in the world. Best in the world at a sport he'd never done before. That's really hard to wrap your head around. But you still haven't gotten to the good stuff yet. He's 37 years old. In fact, I don't know how good some of that record keeping is. People get nervous when I say this, but I say it because it's part of the story and it compliments and serves Francis. To go out and do something at 22 can be a really big surprise. I'm a wrestling fan. Over the weekend, we had a high school guy who is a wrestler. He is out. He wrestles every single day, but he jumped levels. He went and took on a college guy. And even though it's the same thing, it's just a different level and, and you don't inter, intertwine those two. College kid that could go out, of course, lose, but lose in a closer fashion could show some real potential. Over the weekend, we had a high school kid who beat a college kid. Exact same sport they both do, but different levels. That is shocking news. That was shocking news. But you will see things like that within the youth. You'll see somebody that comes over to a sport. They did something really wonderful, but you look back in the summer before they were at the Olympic Games winning the bronze medal. Like It's an age thing. For Francis Ngannou to go and do it while being the older fighter with no experience and to break into something new, a new sport, no matter how much pieces of that new sport resemble pieces of your current and or old sport, there's not an example that you could give me where it's been done. In any sport, you go swimming, tennis, that you have no sport where a 37-year-old with no experience looked to be better than the reigning world champion. And when I bring up Alex Pierre, he is 35 years old, at least. And I don't know that I believe he's better today than he is the night that he debuted. I don't know that. There's some guys that show some really clear gains. Adesanya, whose career is tied to Pierre, or vice versa. Adesanya showed us some extremely clear gains. Take him down and you'll beat him. The next step in Adesanya was they did take him down, but they couldn't hold him there. The next step, and it came so god darn fast, is you just couldn't even take him down. Within 15 months of the guy, take him down and you'll beat him. Yoel Romero couldn't even take him down. There was these incredible gains. I don't see that from Piera, and I don't think that you do either. Now, I'm going to need you to concede that point, and even if it's not literal, I kind of need you to go, I know what you mean, Chael. If I, can get, if I can get that out of you, I know what you mean, Chael. If I can get that out of you, I can then show you that Piera and the field weren't that close. I can prove that because that was what finish represents. If Piera can win the 85-pound world championship, but he does it by finish, which means there's a gap. There's a gap between him and where they can't even close out a match. Then that's the part where we can make up, even if we don't see eye to eye, but I got you to say, yeah, I know what your point is, Shale. That's where we can make that up. Or you look at what he just did. He finished. He stopped. Best 205-pounder in the world. Who has been there and done that, gone through all of them. All Pierre was doing, or all Yuri Prohaska was doing was coming to pick up the championship that he'd never lost. And there was a stoppage, which means there was a gap. So even if you won't fully say, Chael, of course he's better now, if you can just go, I know what you mean, then that gap would make up for it. And what is my overarching point? My overarching point is it looks like Pierre could have come into MMA and won the championship on night one. 
There is nothing like your first. There's nothing like your first try. So in theory, Francis Ngannou, five fights in boxing from now, not knowing anything about it, just in theory, knowing that he's going to have them, five weigh-ins, five training camps, five media tours, five times inside those ropes, in theory, he will do better on five than he did on one. And so the theory that Piera is doing better on, this was only number 10, guys. If I'm wrong, it was a lot. I don't sit around and have guys' records in my head, but I know I'm close. He was like eight and two coming into this. Or he's 8-2 coming out of this. This was either fight number 10 or it was fight number 11. But can we agree that's not much, particularly when you find out it's the second world title fight. There was other world champions along the way. Multiple arenas, multiple times in a main event at Madison Square Garden, all inside of what I'm telling you was 10. And if I'm wrong, 11. That is shocking. So if Piera could have won the world title on day one with no experience, much like Francis could have won the world title in boxing on day one with no experience, how did we get here? Let's start with that. The reason I talked about history repeating itself and the reason I'm coming to you guys, who else is there? Who else is there that we know in our heart of hearts has the skills right now and don't have to get any better. Kazmat Shemaev is not any better today than the day that he debuted. And a lot of you said he could be world champion tonight. A lot of you might be right. Kazmat Shemaev just got a victory over the guy that was the world champion when he got here. I'm arguing for you. He's not any better now. And now that, that match has happened, Shemaev won. What do you want to do with that? Food for thought. We'll never know. Well, there's a lot of truth that we'll never know, but my point of who else is out there right now, why are we making the same mistake? Why are we allowing this mistake to be making? It's all based on us being experts in sport, and by God, that's just not how it works. But I just watched a high school kid take out the defending college champion. That wasn't supposed to work that way either. I don't believe that Francis in five boxing matches is going to be better than he is now. I believe right now he can beat anybody, including the best in the world. I do not believe that Alex Pierre is better today than the day that he debuted. Now, all of these are broad strokes. They're all broad strokes. But when it comes to the who else is there and why aren't we giving their shot right now, there's a guy named Duplessis that December of last year was an undercard fighter. I had no idea who he was or where he was from. They were calling him Duplessis. It was three letters, and some were even calling him DDP, and I assumed he was French-Canadian because it reminded me of GSP. He is now favored to win his next fight, which happens to be for the World Championship, and I'm still going to have to wonder, and I'm still going to ask you who else is out there because I don't believe that Bo Nickel has to get any better. I don't believe he has gotten any better. I wouldn't know with the level of competition he's going in at. A guy that's a negative 2,400. I wouldn't know if that guy's better than the first time I saw Bo fight on TV through Dana White Contender Series or the second time that I saw him fight on TV through Dana White Contender Series. Like, those guys look the same. But the guy in Bo looked like he could beat anybody out there. And the concept that Bo doesn't get to try because I feel is getting weakened. And it's not just Bo. There's others out there. Tatiana Suarez is 11-0. and 0. There's not a woman out there that can touch her. There is not a woman who has ever touched her. It's not about her losing fights. She doesn't lose rounds. 
but getting that opportunity and getting somebody to believe that you at 11-0 deserves to go with a three-time champion who's had four times as many fights, it's, it's tough. I don't argue that it shouldn't be. I just want to bring it to your attention. We never thought somebody with no experience could beat the greatest ever. Well, until Francis did it or did what we thought was doing it. We never would think that Pierre, a striker, could come in reverse. My God, this is a grappler's world. Well, Pierre's got two of your belts, two in the same calendar year. He sold out your most famous arena twice, also in the same calendar year. He's never had a wrestling match. Doesn't know what ASIC Tiger is. Didn't go to a junior high high school or above that university that had a program in wrestling. He does not have a belt in jiu-jitsu, let alone ever into an actual jiu-jitsu competition. So yes, a striker came over and all of you grappling nut huggers, of which, right, I get it. We just got a mirror put in our face. But now we do have to ask the question, who else is out there? Who else with limited experience can come into our world and take over? And I will submit my name for you and then I'd like you to go. My name is Bo Nickel. Pierre, so I wanted to share this from my perspective. I got to participate. I'm working with ESPN and I'm up top, got the little set studio and they put our headphones on. Sometimes it's an IFB. This is a headset situation for those of you that watch the post show. And I'm working with Anthony Smith, I'm working with Brad Okamoto. And we will go on as soon as UFC goes off the air. So when you're Coming down the line, we get in position, we got our little shirts and suits, and we put our headsets on, make sure everything's working. Point is, I'm in a very good position when the post-fight celebrations come for Piera. Second they go off the air, they come to us. Brett Akamoto teased me up first. He says, Chael, what did you think? And I said, Brett, I don't think he called out Adesanya. I never heard Piera one time say, Izzy, Israel, Adesanya, Izzy, Adesanya, Israel, Adesanya. Any which way that you want to do it never came out of his mouth. In fact, I heard him say, Nebraska, Anthony. And I told Brett this, and Brett laughed. He thought I was trying to tag in Anthony Smith, who I'm working with, or maybe trying to bring Anthony into this moment, which is why Brett had chuckled, but I was being very sincere. And a little over a month ago, Piera had gone publicly and challenged Lionheart. And as you looked into it just a little bit, in fact, Anthony Smith didn't even respond to the challenge because he didn't believe it was real. He thought somebody had taken over the social media controls of Piera or somewhere they had misquoted him because Anthony and Piera have no heat there was no backstory there. It looked as though Piera's next match was lined up, and in front of everything else, Piera's never called out anybody. Pierre doesn't build an ad attention to fights that Piera's paid to build an ad attention for. I mean, this I'm just sharing with you Anthony Smith's perspective, but also me being armed with this backstory when I hear Nebraska, and it goes right back into Portuguese, and at some point I hear Anthony, he goes right back into Portuguese. But when they go to the interpreter... The interpreter has not very nice things to say and never says who we're saying them about. So again, 
Brett, myself, Anthony, we're in our own little world. We got these headsets, but we're on this channel where we're together. Nobody in the world can hear me except these two, and I can't hear anybody in the world but these two, just to give you perspective. And I hear Brett Okamoto say, who is he talking about? Brett was getting frustrated at all of the insults, at all of the barbs, at all of the trash talk, if you will, but they weren't being signed to anybody. And the interpreter then says, Israel Adesanya. Israel Adesanya goes on social media and he tells Alex Pierre to let it go. But he does it in a way that only Israel Adesanya can, where he takes a picture of Pierre unconscious wearing an Elsa wig, hairdo. Now, I happen to know about Elsa. She's from a movie called Frozen. And she sings the lead song, Let It Go. I know that because Halloween was a week ago and my daughter was Elsa. So when Izzy puts out the meme of Piera dressed as Elsa, I know what he's talking about. Let it go, let it go. I know exactly what this is about. They then finally do fade to black, roll the credits and throw up to all of us, but not before Joe Rogan weighs in, the third person of this overly stacked interview in a language that it's just not working. And Joe Rogan suggests a third name, which is Jamal Hill. So you got Piera said Nebraska and Anthony. Now, whether that was a challenge or where he went, in all fairness, I don't know. But you have an interpreter that said he said Israel Adesanya. He did not ever at any point say Israel or Adesanya or even an abbreviation thereof. Izzy. No, never happened. And then you have Joe Rogan steer everybody back on the main street and say it's going to be Jamal Hill. Well, we all know that that's going to be Jamal Hill. Joe did the right thing. If you have one piece of information that is required, which is when. But the story of Yuri Prohaska that has only been, it's never been told, but it's been speculated by one person, which is me. And the one piece that the Prohaska story was missing from way back in January when Jamal and Glover Teixeira stepped in there to contest this in the first place, the one piece that's missing is when will Yuri be back? And we're finding ourselves in the same spot now with Jamal Hill. That is the correct answer. Of course, Jamal gets to return for the belt that he never lost. But to say that he's next, Jamal's next fight will be for the belt. Perfect statement. No disagreement. Sign the bottom, put that in the box. Jamal's next for Pahera cannot be signed off on until we have a time frame of when that's going to be. All of that gets juxtaposed with Adesanya who says, I'm not going to fight until 2027, and it might not even be within this sport. And he, for some reason, gets some dust kicked in his eyes by his former opponent. And Izzy was forced to respond. I didn't know what was said, but I knew it wasn't that. Which is what I told you guys that watched the post show. It's what I told my 
partners, Brett Akimoto and Anthony, in the moment. But wouldn't you know, a day later, and who turned out to be right? Me. Piera had a very beautiful statement to Izzy. The whole reason I sit before you now is to attempt to correct this. As the largest voice in this space, even I cannot be larger to a more direct market than a post-fight interview. So I won't be able to unwind this, but I will do my best because Piera doesn't deserve this. Piera said very beautiful things about Izzy. He even made them very personal. Talked about himself and his problem and struggles with alcohol. Talked about he got off of alcohol and out of the bar and back into the gym and with his family because of one person, Israel Adesanya. He wasn't friends with him. Izzy didn't come down there and grab him by the bootstraps. Izzy went out and by example, he led. And he did everything right. And he made himself a living. And Piera wanted to copy him, but in the pursuit of copying him, even if it was done through jealousy, even if it was done through envy, it straightened his life out. This is what Piera really said. That's a very powerful message. And it follows up by telling Izzy, you helped me when I had nothing. You were the boss. You had it all. And all you had to do was turn your back on me. And you'd never been caught doing it because nobody knew who I was. But that's not what you did. Now I am in a position to offer something. If you want that, and only if you think that that helps your situation currently and now, I will reserve a spot for you at UFC 300. That is so beautiful. That is poetry and that is sportsmanship. And that versus what we were told that he put down, he berated, and then he challenged Adesanya. Those are vastly different statements. Words matter. I can't go back in time, but I can do my best to correct what was said. And a challenge is very different than an offer. And a call out is very different than a shout out. And Piera threw and showed sportsmanship to an old nemesis. There's no point in fighting, guys. There is no point in fighting if you don't agree that the dispute is settled there. There's no point in fighting. I'm going to try to do this to you, and you're going to try to do it to me, and diplomacy has failed but we're not going to respect the results. If I win, then I want you to see it my way. But if you win, it hasn't changed anything. That's no good. It doesn't work. And it's not what happened here. And it was a very classy move by Piera. I am going to pass. I don't want to see them fight again. I don't care for what belt. I don't care if it's UFC 100. I don't care if it's the 300th time. I'm good and I pass. But I should have been put in the position to be offered a pass by being given accurate information in the first place. Pivotal. Guys, did I call it? That's not a word I use very often. I'm not sure it's a word that I've ever used. Pivotal? I was all over New York City last week. People are asking me, why should we watch this weekend's UFC? Now, that's a very common question. 
You're working some kind of an interview. They just kind of tee you up. It doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth. You give some guy a 20-minute interview, 20-minute radio that he's getting paid for. You, you, you had to find a ride there. You had to book it well in advance. You get there. You could try to dress a little bit nice. This whole thing to be asked the one question, which is the pitch, why should we watch? And it was pivotal. That was the answer I was attempting to give. That's not a great answer. Not in that question, not in that moment. It's a fantastic answer overall, but now you're starting to see why. So many things that happened on Saturday. Had those moments not happened, right? The fights that we're going to lead into. What happens to John Jones now? What kind of power did Francis Ngannou gain or lose? There's a lot of really interesting things that were never built into the card and that with your time and an exchange of your money, you ever fully got paid off. But we're starting to see it now. The greatest heavyweight in the world is named Tom Aspinall. There was a statement made by Dana White one week ago, and they asked, with Stipe Miocic ready and with Sergey Pavlich ready in a backup position, which means Sergey goes in if anything happens to John or Stipe, something did happen to John or Stipe, Sergey would go in in this case against Miocic. How come that didn't happen? And Dana said, you know, it becomes an interim championship and calling and offering Stipe an interim fight, that's just disrespectful. And it was such a perfect answer by Dana that it did not get a follow-up question. In fact, that was 11 days ago. If I was put in the, uh, my job goes into the category of, Chael, find a follow-up question for that. I don't have one. I fully understood it when Dana said it. I did keep the thought though. I did remember it. And when Saturday came around and Tom Aspinall is in the ring and a quiet, stoic, baby-faced Russian assassin is coming to join him, right? I mean, if you watched those walkouts, if you were on the fence of who was going to win, that wasn't by the time Bruce Buffer, the guy in the shark suit, said what he had to say and got the hell out of the way. We all knew it was going to be Sergey Pavlich. It was terrifying. This little boy, remember that little boy haircut? I combed my, my son's hair today before school. I combed it like Sergey Pavlich, the same as I comb it every day. But there was something frightening to that mystique. Hollywood has brought us a mystique of the quiet, baby-faced Russian assassin. And here's the guy. Now, I bring it to you because they threw a Stipe Miocic again, but this time the fight was over. Tom Aspinall was a champion of the world. Tom Aspinall was supposed to be man number seven to get put down and to sleep against his will inside of five minutes. And even the people that were really cheering for Tom, these aren't my numbers, these are DraftKings numbers. I worked for DraftKings. DraftKings has been a name that I say in an email and a voice over the phone. I went into the studio. I was there. One of their many, but the one out of New York. And they said, we've got all of our money coming in on this fight on the over. Is it over one round? And then they went back to three. Is it more or less? Does the fight make it beyond? Or is the fight finished prior to three rounds? And we never talk that way over here, right? We just take a, a winner and a loser. And here's why we believe he's going to win from a historical standpoint. And the loser has these deficits, historically speaking. And here's what they are. Get up and walk out of the room. But there are other ways to hedge your bets. And DraftKings talked about how much was coming in against the idea that Tom could even get into the second round. But this was the story going into it. I listen to you guys. I read your comments. I know you were very close, and I know there were some real Tom believers out there. But guys, there wasn't one of you that I saw 
There wasn't one of you, according to our ecosystem, known as the comment section that I read that said that Tom was going to get rid of Sergi and he was going to do to him what Sergi's done to everybody else, meaning he's going to knock Sergi out in the first round. I didn't hear that once. And one of the big problems that I had in being a Tom supporter over the week, and I wish Sergi well, by the way, a complete stud, but I did have a lot of my focus on Tom, but one of the big problems that I did have is Tom doesn't have the ability that, say, Daniel Cormier would to make it to the second round. Daniel Cormier, as a lifelong wrestler, can get what's called an underhook. He can push you into the fence. Very hard to stop a guy with an underhook and a wrestling background whose elevation is shorter than yours from pushing you into the fence. What you do when you get there, different conversation. But if our goal is to just eat up around, somebody like Daniel possessions a weapon, somebody like Tom does not. Other people try to tell me, no, you don't know how good Tom is. Tom's like Muhammad Ali. He's out there floating around. He's floating like a butterfly. When he gets ready, he's going to sting like a bee. Like, it was a cool thing for you to say. And Tom does move well, but there's a caveat with it. Tom Aspinall does move well for a heavyweight. Muhammad Ali just flat moved well. Muhammad Ali was a guy that moved well, who signed up in the class, known as heavyweight. Tom is a heavyweight. There's no other weight that Tom can go. Muhammad Ali could have gone other weights. Are you seeing the distinction? Muhammad Ali at 202 pounds could have pulled off seven pounds and gone down a weight. That's the difference I'm trying to make for you. Tom doesn't have those tools. Well, that's what made this so surprising. And when you have those surprise moments, we all knew the belt was up. We all knew it was main event. We all knew it was Madison Square Garden, right? Co-main event, thank you, Ethan. What we didn't know is that if we check all those boxes, there was a way based on the performance, that Tom Aspinall could gain even more stock. The reward for this was huge. But to gain even more, we didn't know that. It had to be the one thing we never talk about, but we do know this as fans, a surprise. You can gain stock in defeat if your defeat is surprising enough. See Francis Ngannou. See a charming young man from West Lynn versus a gentleman named The Spider who brought a belt and left with his belt, but the charming young man left with the sponsorships. There's a surprise. So after I'm armed with this surprise, and now I know what you all know, which is Tom Aspinall is the champion of the world, they threw the camera back to Stipe Meechit. And all of a sudden, the concept of calling and offering an interim championship match to Stipe Miocic does not any longer feel disrespectful. In fact, if you were to start the conversation and the arguments of who possible, likely, and above all deserving suitors are for Tom Aspinall's first title defense, I don't think you come to Stipe first. But right before that punch landed, same night, same arena, same everything, difference in Bruce introducing the fight to Bruce introducing the new champion. In that period of time, the same Thoughts of Stipe done by the same camera shot with him wearing the same jacket and the same glasses. It felt different. I don't feel anything disrespectful about offering Stipe that shot. And I would feel something very disrespectful if we don't absolutely preserve the idea that we were told is being preserved, which is Stipe John Jones. 
if we get away from that topic and then somebody else gets brought in and it wasn't even offered to Stipe because see, don't forget, Stipe did share that with us. Stipe is very great at being honest with you. And I think it was Helwani asked Stipe, how long did you consider taking the fight before they had to go to Tom? And Stipe said it was never, ever offered to me. And then Stipe was very honest upon furthering questioning to say, I don't know that I would have. That wasn't the match I wanted. That's not where I was looking. I do want that belt really bad, though, but I want John. And I thought I could combine the two through that one idea. But Stipe still did share with us that it was never even offered to him. I'm, again, okay with that moving forward. If we preserve Stipe versus Jones, Stipe ending out the odd man out isn't right. Don't forget... Nothing happened and there was no card subject to change due to any action or decision by Stipe. He had this done to him. So if everything's going to move on the way that we've been told, we haven't heard anything different, it just now feels different. If everything moves on the way we're told, which is Stipe Jones, and we'll figure it out when we can figure it out, fine. But things do change very quickly. And if they change in the sport as it pertains to that title, I would feel a lot better if they did not move on and they're not moving in a direction that doesn't continue to involve Stipe. So who gets dibs at Tom Aspinall has a few things that it's pertaining to. I mean, let's start with this. Tom is the interim champion. Are we agreeing to that? And are we moving forward agreeing to that because that sell and that belief is hard. It's possible, but it's hard and it's becoming harder. Is Stipe the number one contender for the unified belt? Which means does he have a signed bout agreement? Now we don't need to actually see the agreement. If all the people at the table say, yes, he does. Yeah, sure, we don't quite have a venue and a date. We're working on some rehab, but make no mistake, it's going to be those two. Okay, good enough. Good good enough, and I can step aside. But it, it really does matter. Like, Tom got put in an interesting spot, in my opinion. And to begin at what we just saw, I have seen four versions of Tom, and none of them are the same. That's one thing that you could say about the really scary guys. That's what made what Demetrius Johnson was doing at the time he was doing it impress fellow fighters so much, is we were able to see and identify gains within his system. One of the things that got Izzy to a world title fight, not to mention the biggest paycheck of any middleweight in history, was that when we would watch him fight, we could observe places he was getting better. Just a rare thing to do. Cosmic Chemayev has been put in positions where plan A has failed. He had wrestlers that were so tight within their wrestling game that he couldn't just go topple them, and he's had to go to something we didn't know he had. Islam Makhlchev was forced to do that three weeks ago against Volkanovsky. We did not know that Islam, of all the things we got to worry about or bet on or hedge against, was a knockout artist, particularly from the open, on the feet, with head kicks. We didn't know any of those things. When I watched Tom Aspinall, it's a very small pool, guys. Ronda Rousey, big name, did a great job. Maybe the queen of MMA. From fight one to finished, same thing. So It was the same girl at the end as was in there at the beginning. Whether that was more than the world could deal with or not, 
the gains and the opportunity being met with adversity to now have to demonstrate those gains didn't happen. When I tell you I've seen four Tom Aspinalls, the one on Saturday is the worst. The four Tom Aspinalls that I could clearly identify for you. Well, here's, and then he goes over to the O2 arena as this guy, but here's his main event, and he's coming off of an injury. As I was to break down all the Toms and all the things that I've seen, Saturday's Tom is the worst version of Tom. There's a couple of reasons for that that he spoke about. First off was fear. Tom's about 30 years old. Whether he's cleared that 30 and is closer to 31 or he's 29, right? I'm only as good as my memory, but I, I know that he's right there. And there's not huge gains being shown by athletes at that age until now. It's not overly uncommon now. Francis Ngannou cannot get better at something at 37 years old. Can we agree? No matter how well built you are, you can't do that. Well, you can't do that because we've never seen any athlete improve. We have seen athletes put dis distance and separation between themselves. We've even seen them regress and keep on being the best in the world because of that gap. We've seen other athletes, Evander Holyfield comes to mind, where he put a gap between himself and then he just maintained. And it took a mean, it took eight years for the world to be able to catch him. But we're having a different conversation here. We're having a conversation about these elites, Francis Ngannou, Israel Adesanya, Cosma Chemaev, and now Tom Aspinall. We're, we're having a different conversation where these athletes are showing gains. John Jones. One of the hardest things in the world, one of the, the people with the hardest job in a John Jones fight is the commentators. He used to do moves and techniques that we had never seen before. And I would watch Joe Rogan, the old pro that he is, making up terms on the spot that then got coined. We actually used them as an industry. And say, yeah, Joe, good enough. I don't know what it's called. That's what it's called. We would just go with it. He was that kind of clever and creative. The worst Tom Aspinall I've ever seen is this one. What should Tom do next? Let's start in reverse order with what he shouldn't do. He should not do surreal gone. That is out of pure pettiness. But there's a lot of motivators out there that aren't good. That's why they named seven of them the deadly sins. He should not fight surreal gone. As a matter of fact, Tom has already been asked about surreal gone. He said, as far as it pertained to Surreal, I'm not interested. Went a step further. See, I'm not interested. You're getting a message out, but you haven't been helpful. I don't like the way this system is. You've gotten a message out. You've shared an opinion, but you haven't done anything helpful. The great politicians, the great leaders and decision makers will have an answer to your question and a suggestion of something else to do. That's what Tom did. As it pertained to Surreal Ghan, he said he was not interested. And then he said, I think that Surreal should fight Jayton Almeida. That's very hard to unfry that egg. I, too, believe Surreal should fight Jayton Almeida. I do. And I think it because who's in front of who and who's better, and the rankings are very clear, Surreal. But as soon as I do an actual breakdown of that match, the actual X's and O's of somebody is grappling heavy versus somebody that's so hard to take down. Somebody that can throw on their feet while a little sloppy versus somebody that can knock you out with three different body parts. It's actually a very interesting match. And all of a sudden, my idea that Surreal is the number one contender becomes a little bit harder to say. I still support the ranking because of bodies of work that's done. My only point being Tom has given us an answer, but he's also potentially solved a problem. And the reason that Tom did that, in my opinion, did have a little bit of spite. I don't believe that Surreal Gone has a bad bone in his body. I've never met him. 
I never find myself over here speaking about him saying anything good, but I do that because he's very tough. He's very successful. He's financially secure. He's handsome. People like him. Like he doesn't need me. He, it's okay if I kick a little sand in his face. That, that is what I'm saying. And the fact that it's okay because of so many great things Surreal has going, I think are compliments to him. But Surreal did something, and I don't think it was out of spite, but he did it nonetheless, which is he made Tom Aspinall look a fool. Tom Aspinall returns from an injury into a sold-out 0-2, into a potential five-round situation. He finds victory, and when he's sharing that victory, how would have you guys liked it if Tom said your name? Honestly, think about that. You got Twitter handles, you said something before that involved Tom. What if Tom saw it? What if Tom saw... Jacob from Missouri, 079. And he shouted you out into the microphone. Would that feel good or what? Honestly, would it feel good or what? What if Tom was thanking people and he included social media people, such as the guy sent over from Chael Sonnen's podcast? Wouldn't that make us feel good? So Tom is in that very moment. All lights are on him and he spreads the butter to Surreal and he lays out a storyline. He plugs Surreal's spot, which is going to be a main event of a card coming up in France. Now, we don't have any company men. We don't have any good players that would actually do that or actually help to serve somebody else. But Tom did it. Surreal never thanked him. Tom then got on an airplane on his own volition, walks away from his three beautiful children and his super pretty wife to follow through on a comment that he had made in the closing moments of a different show. And Surreal wins. And Surreal is to now address Tom in the front row and set up a very big piece of business. Surreal has shown an ability to sell out Paris. Tom has shown an ability to sell out England. The cameras that showed you that ability live in North America. We got a lot of options. We're put in a very rare spot in a sport whose storylines are dying off quickly because the athletes within think the punches and kicks sell. So when it was Surreal's moment, and there is big, beautiful Tom, did his hair, put himself there. Hey, honey, I'm sorry. Hey, kids, kiss him goodnight. I promise. Daddy's at work, and I got a plan. And Surreal gone did not call him out, did not address him in any way. I believe if we're being fair, that's because Surreal's a gentleman. I don't think he had spite in his heart. I don't think he had malice. I think he's a Sandhagen. I don't think he follows the sport. I don't think he follows his own career. I don't think there was malice there. Either way, six foot five Tom had to walk out of that arena, call his wife back, say, honey, I'm sorry I'm gone. No, I'm so proud of you. Do we have the fight? Do we have the one? Do we have the number one contendership, honey? Did everything go the way you planned? Did that big guy surreal do for you what you did for him? No, honey, we're going to have to go in a different direction. I'm sorry, and I'll explain later. Now he's the champ. And now all of a sudden, Surreal did find that he wants to face him. Surreal had a big problem telling a microphone and getting Aspinall the rub in a sold-out arena. He had a big problem sharing that credit to the point that he did not share it. But all of a sudden, he in 160 characters or less with both thumbs going as fast as he could to be the first one to the marketplace, wanted to call out Tom Aspinall, who told him, no, thank you. Why don't you go fight Jalton Almeida? I love it. I love the reasoning behind it. But it doesn't change that we still need an opponent for Tom. 
And I'm going to ponder that just briefly. I'm actually, you guys want a little inside weeds. I'm waiting on a text message where I might even be able to solve that problem. But for now and until then, while you're thinking about that, write down this. Go to my comment section and you tell me. You got the matchmaker. You're the one. Don't be stupid. You know Jones is hurt. You understand those things. You know Francis is with a different organization. You know Mike Tyson stoned out of his mind and doesn't even know his name's Mike Tyson. Like, don't come at it and be stupid. Tell me who you think and who you would like for Tom to face. David Goggins, Tony Ferguson, training together. Did you guys see it? Now, David Goggins is the epitome of fit. I don't even know that he calls himself fit or in shape. Like, wouldn't y'all like to be in shape? We've all used that expression before. I'm in shape. I'm out of shape. I'm working on getting in shape. He doesn't even speak that way. If you follow him, you are going to be like him, a savage. And it's very accurate. I mean, David Goggins' desire and discipline to burn calories and do things that test the mind from physical exertion at times that are completely inconvenient. He's special. I don't know anybody like him. I don't know who his hero would be or who he looked up to to get to that spot because I don't know of anybody that came before him that was exercising to these levels just to exercise. So set that aside. I've never met David Goggins. I bet you haven't either. And I bet what I just described, you liked the way I described it. Sounded right. I do know Tony Ferguson. I was teammates with Tony Ferguson. I trained at the Rain Training Center every single day with Tony Ferguson. I have never seen anybody in my life work as hard as Tony Ferguson. That is a huge statement. All men want something. Common. Men have commonalities that they want, but to be the hardest worker or to be called the hardest worker in a group of hard workers, alpha type men want. You've likely never met a man who said the following words, I don't care if I work hard, or I don't care if people think I work hard. You've likely never met that person, not that actually said the words, no. Big deal. For me, as a guy that's been surrounded by athletes and studs, dedication, hard work, all those buzzwords my whole life, the one that came in and took and yanked the carpet out from all the greats that I'd ever been around was Tony Ferguson. I had simply never seen a man work that hard. And I'd been around hard workers before, and some not in the room. The room is so inspiring when you can see them firsthand. But some were through video. Some were through folklore. Some I read about, word of mouth. And every time I did, it motivated me. Every time I heard about one of those hard workers, I wanted to go put my shoes on. I was ready to run through a brick wall. I, that stuff would motivate me. It would not intimidate me. It was the opposite. I want people saying that about me. Until I was confronted with joining my teammate right next to me. Been real easy to be like him, Tony Ferguson. That's how hard he worked. When I saw other hard work, I thought, okay, that's what I need to do. When I read about the guys that were doing what I wanted to achieve, I think, okay, that's what I need to do. That's what it takes to step levels. 
I would take it home. I would make a presentation to my father. That came with the time that he needed to be off work to get me somewhere to be part of these workouts or it came with a financial element where I was going to make the ask where he was going to try to get the money so I could go get whatever the apparatus was until I saw the training of Tony Ferguson. It did not motivate me. It was a very different internal conversation. Chael, if that's what it takes, you need to find something else to do. Couldn't keep up with him. And it wasn't just me. The range training center was a who's who. And there was days where Mark Munoz, who owned the facility, would turn the lights out on Tony. Think of like a warehouse. You probably only see him on TV. But lots of commercial where they hit the thing. It makes a noise and then all the lights go out. That's what our training room was like. It was this massive warehouse. And the only one in there would be Tony. And you could hear him. You could hear him if he was on the bag. Or you could hear if he was jumping rope. You could hear the echo. It would be the only one in there. And Mark Munoz would see him. He'd already told him to go home. He already told him it was over. Because there's only so much you can do before you start getting diminishing return. Right? Where you take an iron on top of iron, right? Like, that's what makes a really sharp blade. But if you keep on going, that's what makes something really dull. It's a very fine line. And so Mark Munoz, not serving as building owner or as the guy that was going to get the electricity bill and couldn't justify an entire warehouse for one guy, it had nothing to do with that. It was his coach saying, you've done enough. Stop. He turned the light out. And that didn't always run Tony out of the room. Sometimes you could still hear, of the rope, and sometimes you could still hear on the bag. But this is how you had to deal with him, and I bring that to you because Tony is now with David Goggins, and David Goggins is inspiring him, and he's pushing him, and he's working hard, and RDA weighed in on it. RDA weighed in on Twitter and said, no, stop, stop. I don't like these workouts. You are showing as Tony's vomiting, but not stopping. You are showing a proof of toughness. You are showing a grit and ability to to dig down. To be a world-class athlete and to be pushed physically to the point that you even would vomit. That is a loss of the control of your body. But to be put in that spot would be very, very rare. To be any kind of a person and be able to push through that, that is not an excuse. I will not default back to being five years old, to calling my mom and going home because I threw up. A throw up was the ultimate one, right? Like you, they didn't have to put the thing down your, your, right? They take your temperature. They, they didn't have to see if you were hot. They didn't need to check your appetite or just flat out ask you how you're going. If you threw up, game's over. You'd like to go home, go home. You didn't do your homework last night, but you threw it. You were sick. You like to take the day off school. You were sick. Throw up trumps everything. When you find a guy that will do that and push through, you now have a really tough guy. RDA didn't like it. Why? What about that doesn't seem great? Because I agreed with RDA, but I'm having a hard time with the word, so I want him to find him. Why, RDA? And I asked him on Twitter. I said, champ, I see what you see. I'm feeling what you're feeling. Why? I wanted to see if he could articulate it. And I waited a couple of days and I checked back and RDA blew me off. And I think I have the answer. I think I had it then, but I wanted to hear from the champ. You only have so much energy. And in workouts, we're going to condense it out into one day. And the veterans, the Tony Ferguson's of the sport, when you start to enter that very rare air of a guy approaching 40, but he's still taking on guys that were just as young, he's still doing the same thing. And to go out there and compete with those guys that are closer to 20 than they are 40, 
It requires the same kind of training that you used to do when you were half your age. And the point that I'm trying to make is when you only have so much energy, where you put it is extremely relevant. If you're going to push yourself to the point of exhaustion, if you're going to push yourself that you're allowed to go beyond exhaustion with throwing up being the middle ground, throwing up being the point that represents exhaustion, but the clock now representing how far beyond that can you go? If you were willing to do that, what would happen if you put that in areas that are directly going to correlate to the sport that you're preparing for. That was RDA's point, and I see it the same way. I don't question Tony Ferguson or Goggins. I question the amount of time they spent doing that. One of the best athletes of my existence on this earth is a man named Les Gutchess, and he was also the strongest. He was also amongst the best athletes. He was the fastest. He was in better shape than everybody. He was stronger than everybody, and he won more gold medals than anybody I had ever met. And he told me words that I always will remember because nobody's ever told me the words before. It had to do with your morning workout, which is your weight training. The morning workout is the one that's on your own. You can have a partner, but it means you set it up. The afternoon training is the one that the coaches and or the gym and or the team assigns and everybody gets together. The morning workout's on your own. And he told me in a morning workout, which should be strength and or conditioning based, that workout should not be more than 45 minutes. And in no situation, no matter how much you drag that day, should you be in there 60 minutes. That you must force yourself. He never said you need to do less reps, you need to do less squats, less intervals. He said you got to do them harder and faster. You got to be able to get in and get out in the morning, 45 minutes of work. The other 15 is cool up, stretch, cool down, hi, hello, to somebody you might see along the way. And I just thought that it was very interesting. I was 19 years old when Les told me that. I could go for hours and hours and hours. I had no idea what he was saying, but then I became 29 years old. And then certainly at 39 years old, closer to where Tony is at, you've got so much energy and that's all that you have. He's better Having met Goggins, he is better as an athlete. He's in better shape. He's better. This is positives. I am not giving that a hard time, but I do like RDA's point that if you're going to be doing those types of things to do things that are going to translate into the octagon, there is no stair stepper in the octagon. Just to try to prove my point. I mean, I know from our sport that where we got to jump rope and jump rope and jump rope and jump rope. I get it. I got in the legs and you're light on your feet. I understand all of those things. I will not be judged on jumping and there will never be a rope. There is so much time that we waste in this sport doing things to mimic and resemble the sport, but they really don't mimic and they really don't resemble it. There will never be a bar with plates on it where I got to move that in any which set direction, but hours and hours in a week, people will be spent doing that. And I think that this is what RDA is talking about. I think that RDA had a tip of the hat to the dedication, to the discipline, to the fact that Tony humbled himself to go find someone else. And when he found that great guru with the answer, he didn't find an easy one that wanted to tell people I'm with Tony. He found a savage. I think RDA saw a real compliment in that. I think he saw a concern that none of those activities are the activities that remotely resemble the unified rules of MMA. And therefore it's energy wasted. I saw it the same way. I want to hear from RDA. His opinion matters, but I also want to hear from you. Am I close? Does that sound right? All right, guys, that's it for
for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And to those of you who leave me reviews on Apple Podcasts, like the one from Joey that says, there's no better resource than Uncle Chael. I'm giving him five stars. I got to tell you, Joey, and I got to tell all of my little Joeys out there, be back on Friday for more from me. Tell that Uncle Chael Sonnen. And you are welcome.